So what we've done is, is the last couple of weeks, we took a short break from uh, looking at the question of, of prayer, of walking through uh, the Lord's Prayer. Look at some big Reformation questions because of uh, Reformation Day, Reformation Sunday, all of that. And we saw that, that really the questions that we're looking at, and the reason we're doing it is because we want to celebrate the Reformation or anything like that, although it's a great time of, of wondrous revival, but because these are big Bible questions. These aren't just things that, you know, Luther brought up or Calvin brought up that they're like, hey, we should start talking about this. These are things that are central to the message of, of the gospel. Uh, and so when we looked, we looked at that the Bible tells us that we all know. So when we start to look at salvation. The Bible tells us that we all know that we have broken God's law. We all know not only that we have broken God's law, but that we deserve death. Uh, that even something that murder deserves death, we understand that innately, that even gossip deserves death, slander, those sorts of things are deadly uh, sins. And so the question is, how do we fix that? That's the question we've got to answer. How do we fix? If we all know that, that we have broken God's law and deserve death, how do we fix that before we meet him? Uh, and so that's the question. Well, we saw that we can't fix it ourselves by doing enough good, right? That's why uh, it is not our good works that are going to get us into heaven. Not the good things that we do. Not even if we do good Bible things, right? Not even coming to church enough or reading your Bible enough or memorizing enough Bible. Any of those things are going to be the works that we do that fix our relationship with God. They don't. It is only we saw by faith in Christ alone, trust in, in, in Christ's work rather than our own, only that can save us. Sola fide. It is only by faith that you and I are saved. And we talked about that. We laid that out. That's, that's, the Bible's clear. We're saved by faith alone. But the problem is that can happen is when we talk about forgiveness and we talk about the essential uh, nature of faith rather than work that sometimes some people will think what we're saying is well because it's all by faith how you live doesn't matter right just live any way you want to it's all about faith it's all about saying oh i believe in jesus and so that i can live and do anything that i want god will forgive me right i don't know how many times i've had in my life people say God will forgive me, right? So I'll tell them what they're doing is, is wrong and, and we need to do this. And they'll say, hey, but even if you're right, even if this is wrong, God will forgive me, right? Like God, it doesn't have to change how I live. God's going to forgive me. And so the question, and, and again, realize that's not a modern problem. Okay, that's not a new thing that the world has just come up with. Uh, that was a, it was a problem, that problem was brought up during the Reformation and it wasn't even new during the Reformation, right? This is, this is something, it, it, it goes, it goes, even the Bible talks about this sort of thought. You know, you think of like Romans 6, shall I continue in sin so that grace may abound? Uh, so do I get to, well, if we're, if, if I'm saved by grace, well, then the more I sin, the more grace I'll get, right? So should I keep sinning so I can get more grace? Uh, and scripture's like, God forbid, God forbid, yes, but it all scripture also realizes that's going to be what people think. That's going to be, that's a common enough concern that scripture's like, we better address this. That God's like, I need to put something in there about those who will think if it's all by faith, then how I live doesn't matter at all. Uh, and so to answer that, to answer that question of does it matter how we live? If it's all about faith, does that mean how we live doesn't matter? 
we saw, we went to scripture and saw the Bible very clear that yes, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves us is never alone. That faith always results in good works. That God always causes the seed of faith to produce the fruit of good works. And that the Bible refers to this as the obedience of faith. So that was the, if you've got your notes, that was the first two on the notes from last week. If you kept your notes from last week, if you if you got notes today, I already filled those in for you. Uh, and so you're like, well, man, they got it easy. Uh, but faith is born from obedience, the obedience of faith that Paul says, that's a central part of the gospel message. This obedience of faith. He actually begins and ends Romans with that phrase that some of us had to admit we'd never heard of. We'd never heard the obedience of faith. Uh, and so to see that that's actually central to a pretty important book and central to the, to the gospel message that faith and obedience are so tied together that Paul said in Romans 6 again that faith actually makes us a slave to obedience, that genuine faith makes you a slave to righteousness, that we're set free from sin, but then enslaved to righteousness. And so if the gospel uh, brings about not just faith, but if it brings about the obedience of faith, if that's what always happens, faith will bring with it the fruit of obedience. It's no surprise then that as we continue to move through scripture, the Bible says, if you have the gospel, but don't have obedience, then you really don't have the gospel. If you say, I understand the gospel, I believe the gospel, but you don't have obedience, you don't have the gospel. The Bible may tell us that we're saved by faith alone, but the Bible also warns us. And sometimes in the very next breath, that if you say you have the son or you say you believe in Jesus, if you say that you're saved, but do not have good works, you should fear whether your salvation is genuine. And in fact, the Bible is actually going to be more harsh than that. The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't beat around the bush and say, Hey, if you've got faith, but not works, you should maybe check that faith a little bit. The Bible's actually going to say, it doesn't say you should fear whether or not you're truly saved. The Bible's going to say, you ain't truly saved. It doesn't say you should fear whether or not you've got the gospel. The Bible says if you don't have obedience, you don't have the gospel. In other words, if you say you have faith in Christ, but you do not have obedience to Christ, you do not have genuine faith. Your belief is not a genuine belief because the two go hand in hand. Faith comes before obedience, but faith never comes without obedience. Okay, the two go together. Faith comes with obedience, uh, or faith comes before obedience, but faith never comes without obedience. And so this is the next thing that we're going to see, point number three, continuing from last week, that it is our obedience that verifies our faith. It is obedience that verifies our faith. And look at James chapter two. And as we're turning there, uh, let's go ahead and stand 
This will be sort of our main jumping off passage. So we'll stand here uh, and then we'll, we'll pray uh, after we read this first after we read this first passage. So anyone, anyone can say they have faith, but we're going to see here that it is our obedience that proves that our faith is genuine. So James writing, beginning in chapter two, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these are the words of, of God himself. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let's pray. Father, we come here today to cry out for genuine faith. We come here today to see uh, your description of what faith will bring in the lives of your people. And we come here to worship. We come here to glorify you and know that, that this is something that rather than causing us to just fear, is something that should cause us to rejoice. Because this is the fruit you will work in your people. And we want to honestly look for that fruit, see it, and glorify you in it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, so we see here in James, if you and I say, if you and I say that we have faith in Christ, but we don't do the works of that faith, if we don't have this steal from Paul, if we don't have the obedience of faith, then our faith is not a live faith. It is not a living faith. It is a dead thing right? It is a dead faith. James, James is not saying though, so when he says that, okay, if, you, if you've got faith and you want to know, is your faith real? James says, if you say you've got faith, but you don't have works, you're not, you're not doing what that faith should cause you to do in terms of loving your brothers and sisters, like the, like the greatest commandments here. If, you, if your faith isn't causing you to do the greatest of commandments, if you can see a brother or sister is, doesn't, don't have clothes and they don't, can't eat, and instead of taking care of them, you just go, you know, peace be upon you, uh, and go away, uh, be warmed and filled, uh, but don't actually take care of their needs. If, if your faith is not working itself out, then your faith is a dead faith. Now, again, James is not, though, James is not saying anything new, right? James is really just saying, well, uh, he's saying what Paul already said, or probably what Paul is going to say in Romans uh, chronologically. But James is saying here something that's already been said uh, before. So, for example, John the Baptist. John the Baptist already told his disciples this back in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 36. John the Baptist tells his disciples, whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you notice the switch there? Did you notice the switch? Whoever believes in the son has life. Whoever does not believe, that's not what it says. It's whoever believes and then whoever does not obey. It's not whoever believes has life, but whoever doesn't believe. It's whoever believes has life, whoever doesn't obey. Because if your belief is true belief, 
John is, is, is saying, he's assuming they understand this, that true belief will result. He doesn't even have to explain. Now, he doesn't have to say, now, let me, I know that you just noticed the little switch that I did there, right? Uh, let me explain to you, disciples, that this new idea that belief and obedience will go hand in hand, uh, that to not obey is the equivalent of not believing why does John assume that they understand that there is no belief that doesn't also result in faith? How can he assume that? Well, because he's assuming they've read the Old Testament. He's assuming he's read. I mean, all the passages we looked at last week. I mean, when we looked at Ezekiel and, 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 and laying out how God says, look, I will change the hearts of my people. And cause them to walk in my ways. Cause them to keep my commandments. He can say to them, guys, you've read Deuteronomy 30. You've read where God says, I will circumcise their hearts. And then the word will be near to them so that they might do it. You've read all these things. That belief and obedience go, go hand in hand. First John puts it this way. First John chapter 1 verses, uh, or first John chapter 2 verses 3 through 6. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. So again, here, here is how faith or how obedience verifies our faith. By this we know that we have come to know him. How do you know if you have come to know him? If you have come to truly know Christ? What does John say? If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected, brought to maturity. By this, we may know that we are in him. By this, what? Whoever says he abides in him, abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, you say you've got faith. How can you know? How do you know you're really safe? Well, do you keep his commandments? Because if someone says they know him and they don't obey him, they don't keep his commandments, John says that person is a liar. That the truth is not in him. If your faith is true, if your faith is to steal from James, if your faith is alive, then you will keep his word. And he takes it even further than that, right? He ups it. So he doesn't scale back in terms of what the Bible expects, not from us, not from us, but to be born out of us if our faith is genuine. He takes it to the next level. He doesn't just say, you'll obey. What is the last thing he says? By this we may know that we are in him. How can you know you are truly a Christian? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How do you know that you're really a Christian? Not just a matter of do you believe. I mean, it's not, I mean, how many times have you wrestled with that? I mean, a Christian, well, do you believe? Do you really believe? 
I mean, really, really believe? Right? Sounds like what Luther was battling with. And so you just keep going back and is my, I say, I think I believe, but do I really believe? Is my belief really real? I think it is, but is it? What does scripture say? Look at your life. Do you obey? Because what? Because you wouldn't obey if you didn't have faith. If your faith wasn't real. Look at your life. Are you walking like Christ? Because if you are in him, how do you know if you're in him? You ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Do you, I mean, the answer is far more practical. You want to know, do I really know Christ? Do you walk like him? Do you walk like him? The good news is that like we saw in Ephesians and like we saw in Romans, if God has changed your heart, well, you're going to want those things. And he's not just going to change your heart to want those things. He is also the one who will work those things in your life. He will give you a new heart that makes you go, I want to obey Jesus. But he will also do what from Ezekiel? Cause you to walk in his ways. Cause you to do those things. And this has always been the case in God's people. When God gives someone a heart of flesh, when he circumcises, so Ezekiel 36, when he gives them a heart of flesh, Deuteronomy 6, when he, or Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, when he circumcises their heart, when he does that, their lives become Christ-like. This was true even before Christ was here. Littered throughout scripture, we see references to people who were blameless and righteous. And sometimes we get so confused about, you know, we're saved by faith alone that we don't know what to do when it says that someone in the Old Testament was blameless or someone in the Old Testament was righteous. We go, does that mean they kept the law perfectly? Does that mean they were sinless? Or does it mean that their hearts were changed and they began to obey because of their genuine faith, just like Abraham did? The Bible has no problem saying that God's people, if they are God's people, they will live righteous lives. You go back to Noah. What was Noah? Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. You go back to Job. Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. It's said of Josiah that he served the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, and all his might. I mean, that, Jesus is going to say later, That's a pretty big commandment. And it says that Josiah did that. It's going to say that Daniel was blameless, that David was blameless. In fact, all of the people of God are called to be blameless. And it was assumed that they would be. The Psalms are filled with promises, not to people who are mediocre, but promises to God's people when they live blamelessly by obeying him. You get to the New Testament and believers, and it's so assumed that not, you won't just have a blameless Noah and a blameless Job. You get to the New Testament, and all of them, not just some of them, all of believers are called what? Saints. What does saints mean? Do you remember? It's one of those words I don't like. Uh, what does it, not just because of Reformation Day. Like what, it means holy ones. It comes from the word holy, holy ones. So when John says that true Christians will walk like Jesus, he's not saying anything that scripture hasn't said for a thousand years. 
that changed hearts will result in changed lives. I mean, what does Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48? What does he say? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You're his disciple. And then what does he say later as he goes in? He finishes it. Look, you're either going to do my commandments, the things that I say and live and be and build your house upon the rock or you're not going to do, not just believe, but you're not going to do what I say and your life will become built on sand. That's just not saying that you've got to be perfect and you've got to be blameless and you've got to be righteous. That's just not, that's not just some ethereal hope that, yeah, we, we are those things in, in, in Jesus. And so I, I am that in Jesus, but I can kind of live any way that I want to. The Bible's saying, look, if you are that in Christ, you will be that in your life. You will do. You will obey. You will not just contemplate doing and obeying. You will, those things, you will walk like Christ walked the christian is supposed to be living a blameless life philippians chapter 2 tells us as paul paul of all people this is what the purpose of the gospel 2 15 that you may be blameless there's that word that we saw all the way thrown all the way back throughout the old testament throughout scripture throughout what we're supposed to be because of who christ is and what he's doing in us that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So this isn't just some heavenly hope here. One day you'll be blameless. One day you'll be, you uh, do this in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Christians today, as Christians for all times, are supposed to shine as lights. And they shine by living blameless and innocent lives they shine when they live as children of god without blemish our good works don't save us but they are proof that our salvation is real it's not our good works that save us but our but our good works that show that we have been saved and they're meant to be an encouragement i mean the fruit they are the fruit of the holy spirit This is what happens when God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He turns you holy. He holifies you. That's the word sanctification. That's why I like the word holification. He holifies you. Your Christian life is a holification. It is a making you more and more holy, where you live more blameless, more upright, more innocent, where you become less and less stained by the things of this world. The reason I bring this up, Christian, is because we want to be careful not to rest so much on faith alone that we allow our lives to be trash and we allow ourselves to get away with sin that God has empowered us to to be free from. That we say, I mean... we cannot be like, have you ever talked to your kids and you ask them, you know, hey, is that what Jesus would do in this situation? And they go, well, I ain't Jesus. And I say, hey, Rebecca, calm down. Uh, no, I mean, in, those, in that situation. But how many of us of Christians have let ourselves off the hook? Think in your life. Is there something in your life that you're letting yourself get away with because you ain't Jesus? Is there something in your life that you say, hey, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not. 
but that's okay. I'm not Jesus. Is there something you know you shouldn't be doing? And yet you're doing it. You have not ceased it. And you go, well, you know, hey, not Christ. The Bible says if, you're, if your faith is genuine, you want to know if it's real. You want to know if you're in him. Then you ought to, whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Don't cut yourself any slack, Christian. Because if you cut yourself slack, what is that saying about your faith? God has commanded you and equipped you to be obedient. Tell my kids this all the time. I tell you, you guys have heard me say, many of you who have been in any counseling with myself and probably with Zach have heard us say the same thing. No one can make you sin, right? No one can make you sin. There's no sin that you just, I just have to, she said this and so I had, and I go, I would say, I would stop, go, nah. You didn't have to do any of that. You chose to. It's very important for you as a Christian to realize if your faith is genuine, you are sinning because you want to. Because you've been set free from sin to be a slave of righteousness. So Christian, quit cutting yourself undue slack. You see sin in your life, kill it. Kill it and walk like Christ walked. If, you, if you're thinking right now, well, I'm not walking like Christ because of this. Instead of, instead of giving yourself a pass, and saying, well, you know, maybe I'll do better next time. See it and start walking like him. See that as the, as the, as the uh, uh, insight from the Holy Spirit showing you where you need to be more holy. He has shown it to you. And now if your faith is genuine, you know what you'll do? You'll change and you'll start obeying. And if the Holy Spirit can show you something in your life that, that you should change and you instead say no, and you keep saying no, and you keep saying no, and you keep saying no, then you have to ask, what sort of faith is that? The Bible says that would be a dead faith. Live righteous lives. Live blameless lives. Be an innocent child of God. We want to shine as lights in this world. I mean, this is the thing that is so frustrating for us as Christians. How many times do they say, like, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites? Right. Or the church. And half the time they're right because the church has allowed people to just keep on sinning and say things like, well, you just got to love them back to, you know, and all this. They're just living any way they want to. Church, we've got to shine as lights. And the only way we'll shine as lights, the Bible says, Paul says in Philippians, is to be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish. That we've got to do like first John says, we've got to walk like Jesus walked i mean if we ain't shining we can't be surprised that the the world is filled with more and more darkness shine but realize where you're going to shine isn't just at your workplace isn't just in some big event and it's not just in the polling booth you shine in the type of mother that you are to your children you shine in the type of husband that you are to your wife You shine in those things because those are the big things that set the stage for the next generation and those people and and your children to build on top of your shoulders and for the world to look and say, that family's different. Why? Because they're walking like blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Your obedience verifies your faith. So, That, of course, leads to 
The next thing, which is that because your obedience verifies your faith, you have every reason to be very proud, right? Uh, You've got every reason to boast. Look, I am walking like Jesus. Uh, Does our obedience, if our obedience verifies our faith, is our obedience anything that we should take pride in? The Bible is, of course, going to say no. I mean, won't this run the risk of us causing us to praise ourselves rather than God? It might. There is a risk in that. But only if we're fools. Because the Bible is clear. Our good works are God's glory, not ours. Our good works are to God's glory, not ours. We saw that, that the, the obedience of faith causes other people to hallow the name of God. Remember we saw that in Romans 1. We saw it in Romans 16 both times. He says that one of the reasons the, our obedience of faith is so important, pulling again with what he's going to say in Philippians 2, is that when we obey, it causes people to hallow the name of God. When we obey, it causes us to shine uh, like lights in the midst of a, a twisted and crooked generation. So our obedience is going to cause other people to give glory to God. That should be one reason that you should want to obey. That should be a big reason is that I want to obey because I want people to think God is great. If, if we're praying this, Father, hallowed be your name, and yet you're holding on to sin, you're holding on to one of the things that's going to keep the world from hallowing his name. Uh, but it's not just, it's not just that. Our, 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 our shining, our holiness, that might give us comfort, but it's not for our glory. Our, our, when we see the good works in our lives, it causes us not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. So heaven's filled with these people crying out, saying what? Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Well, look at how she's. So we're giving glory to God because the marriage supper is coming. The bride is ready. Look at how she has adorned herself. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints so here the bride the bride is coming she's beautiful look how beautiful but what was it it was granted to her to be dressed in fine linen. The fine, these fine, these righteous deeds of the saints, this fine linen of the bride is not something that she has purchased for herself. It is, it was granted to her so that we give glory to God because look at, look at the bride. Look at how beautiful she is. But what is it that makes the bride beautiful? Her righteous deeds, which is why Paul says in Ephesians 5 that Christ is washing his bride with the water of the word so that he might present her spotless, blameless, without blemish. It is God who has granted to us these things, who has worked in us righteousness. And we, we saw this in Ephesians 2, right? We already saw this. What did it say? That, that, that the, these good works are what God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. 
So any good work that you do and you start to walk like Christ, you fix your marriage, you fix your parenting, you fix the way you are at work, you fix the way you talk to your friends, you fix the way you talk about your husband, you fix the way you talk about your life, you fix the way you do these things, you fix the way all of this. When you get these deeds that you're doing, where are they all coming from? Those good deeds, God prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. Is that you? It's not you causing you to do these things. When you're walking like Christ, it's not you. It's something God prepared for. It's something God has granted us. These are not our invention. They come from him. Every good work that you do has been prepared beforehand by God. We get no glory. We can rejoice. We can celebrate. But the glory is his. Our righteous deeds bring him glory. Because we only clothe ourselves in righteousness because he has clothed us in grace and faith. He is glorified because our good works are caused by him. Just like he's the one who gives us faith. He's the one who causes that faith to bring good works. So then the good works that we see in our lives bring him glory, not us. God gets the glory because he's the author of our faith, but he also gets the glory because he's the enabler of our obedience. We saw this in Ezekiel, that it is God who will cause us to walk in his ways. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I just wanted to mention enough. I thought I'd throw it up there one more time. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That God's the one who causes us to do these things. This work of God in our hearts should humble us. It's God doing every bit of it. So as you start to walk like Christ walked, you're not, you're not, you don't do it, you know, with your chest out. Like, look at how much better I am than the world around me and You know, if only everyone could be like me, like the Pharisee and the tax collector sort of situation. But what do you do? It should humble us. This all is from him. It's not from me, but it should also encourage us. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. May he comfort your hearts and what? And establish them in every good work and word. It is God's grace that brings us salvation. It is he that comforts our hearts. And that same God is the one who will establish your heart in every good work and word. I mean, the idea that we, sh- we must bear good works, that, w- that that will happen, that shouldn't scare you. I mean, if you've, been, if you've been truly saved, then God is the one who will establish these good works in your life. So that when you see these good works, you don't praise yourself, you praise him. Because you know that when it comes to your good works, must they be there? Yes. But when they're there, who's going to get all the glory? God. Must you walk like Christ walked? Yes. You must. You will. 
But how do you know you will? Because it is God who will establish your heart in every good word and work or work and word. So as we wrap all of this up that we've seen the last couple of weeks, what, what fundamentals do we need to remember about our salvation? Do we as a church need to remember? We need to remember we're saved by faith alone. And we need to remember that a faith that saves is never alone. True faith always results in good works. When God gives us clean hearts, he also gives us clean lives. The obedience of faith is an absolute necessity of the gospel. Faith may come before obedience, but again, faith never comes without obedience. It is our obedience that verifies the genuineness of our faith. If you are saved, you will walk like Christ. Your faith will produce in you a blameless and righteous life, a righteous life that is a fruit that verifies that your faith is real. But that fruit, those good works spring not from, not from us, not to give us glory, but to give God glory. They're not something, in the end, they're not something that we do, but something that God works in us. And so if we realize that, how do we respond? How do we respond to such a high calling Walk like Christ walked. How do we respond? You've got to do that. You've got to walk like Christ walked. If your salvation is real, you will walk like him. You will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. How do you do that? What if you set the, if God has set that standard, what are you going to do? You're going to pray. And you're going to say, God, I can't do that on my own. I can't. I've seen my failures. I see where I'm not walking like Christ now. So what are you going to say? Father, work in me what you promised to work in me. Establish in me what you promised to establish. Bring my faith to life. You want to glorify God with your life? Christian, that's not some hidden task for you. There's not some secret way, some spe- Okay, one day I'm going to be able to do something great and marvelous for the Lord, right? What can you do? Live righteously. Live blamelessly. Hate your sin and love your father. These things that you're, you're supposed to be doing, start doing them. Start doing it. If there's anything in your life that Christ would be doing that you're not doing, do it. Do it. Walk like he would walk. The things you know you shouldn't do, don't do them. Quit. Stop it. Not only will that give you confidence, God, my faith is real. God is truly bearing the fruit of repentance. The true fruit of genuine faith. Not only will it cause you to see that and give glory to God in your own life. Look at what you, you are making in me. It will show the world the truthfulness of Christianity. The obedience of faith will ring out to the praise of his glorious name. You want to glorify God with your life? It's not going to be through some grand event that you're finally going to do something big for the Lord. 
It's going to be in how you walk every day, in every situation, in every conversation, whether it's a conversation with a two-year-old, a 20-year-old, or a 50-year-old. In everything, you're going to handle everything the way Christ would. You're going to walk like he walked. And that will cause you to shine as a light in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. Christians, let's obey. God promises he will work that obedience in us for our good and for his glory. It's simple. Christian, get to work. Get to work. And in the end, it'll be a great glory as well. Let's pray. We can say that, you know, this bar is set high. If you're his, you will be, you'll live a righteous, a blameless life. You'll uh, be without blemish. You will walk as Christ walked. Those are, I mean, those aren't things that, I mean, that I just said, you know what? Let's raise the bar higher for our church. I mean, that, that's where the bar has been. I mean, it's not, like, it's not like, I mean, this is what God does in his people. Whether it's Noah or it's someone sitting in the pew here today. It's no different. Salvation's been the same. When God saves you, that faith will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which will be a changed life. Not the works of the flesh anymore, but the fruit of the Spirit. Perhaps we've been too easy on ourselves. Perhaps we've, we've thought less of salvation than we should. We've thought it was merely a change of the mind. Just a motivation of the heart. But God says not only, not only will he save your hearts and change your hearts. He's the one who promises that, that, that he will comfort them and establish them in good work and word. So Christians... Take this moment and just pray. Say, God, help me to walk like Christ walked. And what's funny is you're going to see that the problem in that equation has never been from his side. I mean, it, when you pray that, you probably immediately know the ways that he's been telling, the things that he's been telling you to quit doing that you have just chosen to keep doing. And this is just another level of conviction to drive you to repentance that you might walk like Christ walked. He's shown you what you should do and you haven't done it yet. You've been lax, you've been lazy, whatever it is. And now you know, I've got to walk like Christ walked. So do it. And then rejoice because you know, even the desire, the, the desire to do it comes from him. The ability to do it comes from him, but it will come from him. It will. So let that give you confidence. Let it give you faith and let it cause you to give glory to God. Let it cause you to praise him that you can, you can shine as a light in the midst of this world just by walking like Christ walked. No more cutting sl ourselves slack. We don't need slack. We need faith. And faith will give birth to obedience every time. Father, we come to you, and God, we do. We rejoice. I mean, this is just crazy, Father, that we would, and it's, that we would be able to live righteous lives. 
that we'd be able to be blameless, that we'd be able to, to be uh, ch innocent children, not just theoretically, but practically shining by our lives in the midst of a world that is crooked and twisted, that, that our lives will, 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 will shine, will glow, that it will cause people to see the, the obedience of our faith, will cause people to see our lives and, and give glory to your name. Just, just like the Israelites were supposed to have done when you laid out your law for them in the Old Testament and said, look, you're going to shine in the midst of these, these crooked nations. Father, this is, this is, we could not, we could not do this in ourselves. But you are such a gracious father that you promise to both comfort our hearts and to establish them in these good works. That you say you will give us this faith and you will, you will, you will cause us to walk in them. You will give us these good works that you prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. To walk in good works, to walk like Christ walked, to, to keep your commandments, be careful to obey your rules. Those all come from you. And so God, today, I just want us to praise you. I want us to, to praise you, to, to, to Father, see just how much our lives have changed or how much you're changing our lives, what our lives will be all because of you. And that, Father, we will have such, such deep-seated faith that we'll, Father, we'll see that, that, that our salvation has changed, changed the sin tree from root to fruit. That we are new creations. That we are your children. And you will cause us to obey. Because our faith is real. Because you are. So is our salvation. And it is in Christ's glorious name that we pray and that we ask that we might walk as he walked. Amen.